I don't know what this is gonna do to the volume, but I can, I've lowered it to where I can't hear myself that much. But I can like fix it once we get into uh, Adobe Audition. So I guess we're just gonna run it. We'll just try it. All right, let's do it. I only have about, cause I have this phone interview at four. So let's try to just like do a 20 minute uh, little brief or like 20 to 30 minute. Yeah, I'll shoot for 30 minutes. <clears throat> Let's do it. Um, go ahead and start. All right, five, four. How's it going today, guys? I'm back here live in the studio once again. Another episode of Hot Takes with CP3. I am joined by Brett Baker today on Wednesday, April 17th, 2019 via Skype. This is our first time doing it via Skype. Brett, say what's up to the people. What's up, guys? Uh, I know this is a little bit different. Me and Thomas aren't in the same room, uh, but we have a great show. This is our first one on Skype. I'm just going to lead into the greatest part of the show Tiger is back in red, Masters Sunday with the come behind victory. Absolutely great for the game of golf. Uh, Thomas isn't big into golf as, or well, he isn't as big into golf as me, but you've got to be big into golf now. Tiger's the favorite for the PGA Championship. Although we have a lot to talk about, I just wanted to get that right off the bat. Tiger is back. You know, why don't we just go ahead and start on the topic? Look, I think this story of Tiger Woods winning, like you said, I mean, I'm not the biggest golf guy, but you're lying to yourself if you weren't paying attention to this. I mean, this is the biggest story, not only in sports, but just in life in general. If we've learned anything about ourselves over time as humans, it's that we love a good comeback story. And that's what Tiger Woods is. I mean, this is a guy couldn't even ride in a golf cart because it hurt his back too much. I mean, he basically said that he might never play golf again. And the fact that he comes out wins on golf's biggest stage is absolutely crazy. I mean, the Masters, is I mean I would say it's not only is it's golf's biggest stage but it's one of the biggest stages in sports in general the fact that he came out won the way he did I mean he didn't eagle a hole all weekend long and he still won the tournament I mean that is absolutely crazy to me and Brett do you think this is the biggest comeback story of our lifetimes as sports fans well I mean there's there's been comebacks uh that are more so like moment based in terms of like you know the Cavs coming back 3-1 or the the Red Sox coming back versus the Yankees down Mm 3-0 those things are a little bit different though because this has been a 10-year process I mean the last time he won a major was 2009 and I mean it's just been a a long-term process. So yes, I think this is the biggest comeback. I think that he's had so many uh, issues with his, you know, his personal life, injuries, yeah. uh, everything that involves Tiger Woods has been an issue over the last ten years. The DUI, everything, and to come back and not only do this, not only win a major, but to win a major at the Masters, where the stakes are the highest. This is incredible. I mean, he's won a Masters in now three different decades. Could win another decade, which would make it four, which is absolutely mind-boggling. I can't even think about it. He was, I mean, very close. I mean, if he would have won one, you know, a year from now, then we'd be talking about him winning a Masters in four consecutive decades. And I think that is crazy in itself that he hasn't won in 10 years. But, I mean, it's... It's absolutely mind-boggling to me that he actually is able to come back. I, there was a point not too far back that I never thought he would win a golf tournament again. 
He won recently. Yeah, and I even I even made fun of you when you said he was your favorite to win the Masters, and that yeah, guy made the big bet in Vegas, and I said that that's betting with your heart, not your head. And the only reason I said he was my favorite is because he's looked really good lately. And, I mean, I'm going to be honest. Me saying he was my favorite was a lot of emotion. and I mean, it was betting with my heart in a sense. And I really think that, I mean, it, it, it paid out for one better who betted $86,000 on him to win one point, I think, six mil. But... I mean, who would have guessed? I, I really am speechless on it. I'm still speechless. I've tried to take a couple days to process it, and I haven't been able to. So Tiger's back. Uh, I guess that's all we can say about that until the PGA Championship. If he wins that, we really have to we really have to delve deep into golf on this podcast, Thomas, because I, I, I don't think I will be able to hold myself any longer. We're going to have like a full 30-minute dedication to golf, and that's it. Yeah, I mean, if he gets it, I'll gladly let you sit there and monologue for 30 straight minutes of just you talking about golf. But, I mean, I feel like I said earlier, it's one of the greatest comebacks I've ever seen. Probably the greatest just single-handed athlete comeback I've seen. I mean, we've seen guys like Derek Rose come back this year. I mean, like you said, the Cavs, the Red Sox. There's so many great comeback stories in sports. But I think this one kind of tops all of them. Like you said, we saw the, we've saw we seen Tiger at his highs and his lows throughout his career and life in general. So well, I think it definitely is the top one. But Speaking of comebacks. Yeah, speaking of comebacks, how about the Clippers, man? So I actually went to bed before this one was over. I had to get up early the next morning for work. I texted you at about 1.30. I was like, please, God, tell me you were watching this because it was thrilling. I mean, a lot of people did go to bed, and I don't even blame you guys because in the past, I mean, not even in the past. Right now, if I saw the – tonight, if I saw the Warriors were up by 31 points and I had to be up tomorrow morning – I'd go to sleep. It's simple as that. Alrighty, uh, so we're back. We had to take a quick little pause, but we are back. Back to the Clippers. I had one stat that I was sharing. It's kind of messing it up anyway, so it kind of helps that we went on a pause. But in the last 20 seasons, there's only been a few teams that have come back to win multiple games in which they trailed by 25 or more. And the Clippers have done it three times, 25, yeah, 25 I mean, and 28. And then the 31 in the playoffs. So four times. Yeah. The Clippers were down by 25 or 23 at halftime. It was 50 to 70 or 73 at the half. I mean, when I saw that, I was like, yo, I'm in bed at this point, but I mean, the Clippers absolutely exploded having 40 plus points the next two quarters. I mean, Lou Williams, like you texted me, he was getting buckets. Like they were going out of style. Like he was the last man on earth and had to 31 and 11 off the bench. I mean, it was just, I feel like that game, I kind of look, even though that I thought said the Warriors would sweep. I like the way that game went just because I felt like the Clippers deserved a little more credit for being the team that they've been all year long. And I feel like that game kind of gave it to them. That's kind of the gritty Clipper game, like a high scoring 125, 130 point game. Patrick Beverly got in Kevin Durant's head. You know, the one story that I think needs to be talked about more from this game 
is Kevin Durant's performance. Nine he fouled turnovers. out and had nine, yeah, nine turnovers. I mean, if LeBron did that, do you realize how much, like social media would probably crash because they would blow up so badly if LeBron did that. I mean, that's what, every, you know, you know, like we don't, we don't hold KD to the same standards as LeBron because KD's not as good as LeBron straight up. I mean, that's just is what it is. KD will never be LeBron. And I think that kind of showed right there that, that he doesn't get the respect and not the same player as LeBron. Cause I mean, yes, that's talked about, but you know, it's not as big of a deal as it should be. And yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree, and I also kind of feel like the Warriors are the Warriors have gotten to this point where it almost seems like they don't even care anymore. Uh, there was like passion there for you know everybody trying to KD came in trying to prove himself. He looked like one of the greatest players mm-hmm. on earth, maybe greatest players of all time in that finals against LeBron. And now he's kind of gotten to the point where he's being complacent, and he just. The Warriors just didn't seem to care, and when they started losing it, they had already like they had already lost it. I mean, throughout the game, they were absolutely whipping them at halftime, and then the next half, it just looked like they just didn't care. And KD, KD is easily shook. It's it's been known. Uh, the media shakes mm-hmm. him all the time, and the media gets under his skin all the time. Seems like a lot of people do get under the skin of Kevin Durant, and it seems to be pretty easy. And I think that's where the exposure that the Clippers brought to the table is coming from. And I think that Patrick Beverly has been great in terms of, he might not have absurd stat lines or anything, but he's been great in terms of getting KD like angry. I mean, he's got him ejected one game, fouled out in the next, nine turnovers. Uh, it's He needs to be men- more mentally strong than that. I mean... When LeBron struggled in that finals against the Mavericks that year and struggled really throughout the playoffs with the Miami Heat that year, he was getting so much flack. And I don't think KD is getting enough attention for being this, for playing this poor. I mean, it's it was pathetic to watch. I mean, I think seven of those turnovers came in the second half. And yeah, I will say this too, though. He somehow managed to keep a plus two, plus minus with nine turnovers, which is pretty darn he's hard a to do. He's shooter. And yeah, what's and crazy. like, I don't. Like, I don't understand why that he didn't just take Beverly in the mid-range and shoot over him. I mean, he's got Beverly's like 6'1", 6'3", at tops. I don't know the exact. That's why we need our stat guys so we can get the exact height of Patrick Beverly. But Kevin Durant's true seven-footer, and Beverly's six feet soaking wet, you know. So KD should just be able to take him in the mid-range and shoot over him. It should be no problems for KD. I also feel like, too, at the same time that the the referees or the officials, they didn't do a great job of calling fouls for KD. I mean, if you look at the tape, it's just because he's— so much bigger than Beverly, they're not giving him those calls. But if Beverly was doing that as somebody who was his own size, it would have been called a little bit more. So well, I will I mean, say that's that. Just the, that's just one of the you know cons about being a seven footer almost. And it also, for me, there's no world where it is okay for Draymond Green to have more shot attempts than Kevin Durant. He wasn't asserting himself in that second half. Uh, he had already kind of gone into this, you know, like cakewalk that they were up 30, so he didn't even really seem to care, and it showed. I mean, it, it really showed. He wasn't assertive. He kind of lost his ability to be assertive once he turned it off. And it, you see it a lot with teams that kind of turn it off and, like, lose a big lead, and then they aren't able to get back into it. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to try to – I'm not going to blow it up and make a huge deal out of it, but it is something to keep an eye out on is – Kevin Durant's just not being as assertive as we've seen him in the past, and I know that uh, he probably will, obviously will step it up. I'm not 
my board behind me says the Clippers in five, but that's an obvious joke. I don't think that's going to happen. I think that the Warriors will, you know, pull through in about six games, five games, at most six games, probably five. But I th- yeah, I think five. I think this refocused them. But I think one other storyline that yeah. we're forgetting is we need to move along here because I know you got to go soon. But one thing we're forgetting here with this game is Demarcus Cousins going down and tearing the quad. That's what I, I think that injury up. was huge. I mean, at first when he did it, I looked at my dad and I was like, "Do you think Demarcus is faking or he's actually getting hurt?" Because I mean, he was playing bad and he kind of fell over, you know. And I was like, "All right, you think he's just playing bad because of the playoffs and he's faking?" But I could, like you said, your dad looked at it and said instantly he could tell it was a torn quad for DeMarcus but I think this is actually huge I mean if you look at their lineup I mean they don't have the JaVale McGee anymore they don't have Zaza anymore they don't have a a younger Bogut I mean Bogut's only a shell of what Bogut used to be you know like they don't really have that big man it brings up questions to me now if they can get through the next couple rounds I mean I think they're better when they have Iguodala on the floor but Iguodala can only play well for so many minutes you know he's old he's he's old that's that's the problem with a lot of their backups right now because in the past we've had you know we've had big men that can at least take up space for the Warriors. JaVale McGee, Zaza. Now we have Bogut on their bench, who is obviously he would get hurt if he played more than 15 minutes. Like, I generally do feel that. If he played 15 minutes, two games in a row, he'd be hurt. Uh, you have Looney, who will absolutely get bullied by Clint, the likes of Clint Capella or, you know, Nikola Jojic. And I think that. They're really going to struggle against those teams that are, have a dominant presence inside. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know exactly how big of an impact it will have on Golden State until we're able to kind of see how this series, you know, pans out. But, I mean, the Clippers' big men were absolutely dominant. And, mm-hmm. I, I mean, uh, I think, what was the stat that I sent you earlier about? Uh, yeah, Montrez at 25 Montrez, and... Yeah. Uh, yeah, Z- I mean, Zubats only had two points, but he only played nine minutes. So, I mean, Harrell played 33, and he had 25 points. It's perfect from the field, 10 rebounds, you know? His stats, his averages for the first two games are 25.5 points per game on 84% field goal percentage, which is absolutely... I mean, that's a huge issue for the Warriors, especially moving mm-hmm. forward with somebody that, you know, like Clint Capella, who shoots a high percentage from the field and dominates on the boards. I think that's going to be a huge issue for them. Well, I don't even think it's the Capella fact. I think it's James Harden getting Chris Paul getting to the rack. They're going to drive yeah, in there, that too. and they're going to have no big man to keep them, to, you know, to defend the rim for them. And if that big man steps up, it's just going to be an alley oop over the top to Capella every single time. So, I mean, it definitely poses some threats. I mean, like you said, I'm not going to jump the gun here today and say, oh, the Warriors are done. They can't get to the next round without Demarcus. I mean, I think that's a little far fetched. Go ahead and jump but the gun. I was this a season, betting I mean, man, and I am a betting man. I'm going to say that this is the year that the Warriors actually lose a finals. I think that... Yes, I, I think the Bucks. I don't think they stand a chance against the Bucks without Cousins. Yeah, well, I mean, the Bucks are one of those teams that are dominant inside. I mean, they're, they're deep, they're dominant inside, they're a good three-point shooting team. I think that's a team that they would really struggle with. And, I mean... We're the greatest thing about this conversation is we're going to see. I mean, obviously, we're going to see uh, sooner rather than later. So, for the sake of time, since we don't have too much of it, we'll briefly uh, touch on this Russell Wilson thing, and then we'll get to our power play. Are you cool with that? Yeah. All yeah, right, let's do so, it. So, uh, I'll just I'll just ask you the question real quick. Do you think that this is the right contract and a good move for the Seahawks? We'll just both say our uh, thoughts, okay. and then we'll move. Um. 
Yeah, I mean, I do. I, I generally do. I think Russell Wilson has done a lot for the Seahawks. I think that their uh, struggles when they've had them in the past have not necessarily been directly because of him. Sometimes, yeah, sure, he has bad games, but everybody has bad games. I think that he is definitely worthy of, you know, the contract. I also think that he kind of played leverage the right way, the correct way. I think that he didn't he didn't come to camp, but he also let them know that he was unhappy. So the rumor broke that the Seahawks were thinking that he might leave them in free agency. So it kind of put, you know, like a a little bit of a push on them to kind of press forward and get Russell Wilson locked up. And I think it's definitely necessary, especially with it's hard to find a truly talented quarterback. And Russell Wilson is that. I think he is about as talented as they come in terms of the full package uh, running mm-hmm. going. He has absolutely a great long ball. You saw that throughout the playoffs and the end of the season. He was absolutely throwing dimes. And yeah, I mean, I agree with it 100%. And I think that it's a great move for the Seahawks. They're, you know, rewarding the players that have stuck with them and led them to a lot of. A lot of victories and a lot of success. So, yeah, I agree. Yeah, um, I'm going to agree with you as well on this one. I mean, anyone who's listening to this podcast knows how much that I love Russell Wilson and how great of a player I think he is and underrated. I think nobody in the league deserves that contract more than him. I mean, he's always had the defenses. I mean, he lost Marshawn Lynch. He's never had a good tight end, never had a good wide receiver. I mean, Doug Baldwin was undrafted for crying out loud. I mean, everything that Russell Wilson does, he creates for himself. I mean, his offensive line ranks over the last couple of years, I mean, they were a little bit better and the run game was better this year. But up until this year, they had ranked in the bottom parts of the league. So I really feel like that Russell Wilson, he's one of those guys. I mean, no matter what you give him, he's going to go out there and give you a good chance to win and make the playoffs. And I mean, that's what you want at the end of the day from your quarterback. So I think if anybody deserves that contract, it's Russell Wilson. And the big other thing, too, about Russell Wilson, I'll say this real quick, is when do you ever hear negative stories about Russell Wilson? I mean, the guy's a role model. I mean, he handles everything the right way. He's very well spoken. I mean, Russell Wilson's all business. You know, he's not out there fooling around. You don't see him at night clubs and stuff all you see Russell Wilson doing is practicing and playing with his child winning games you know so I mean future's child so yeah yeah, future's child that's what I meant yeah Yeah. raising future's kid so that's a story for another day but we'll move from there so uh, get back at it again with the power play I will uh keep it on my phone Brett you better be watching the camera here so I can uh tell you when that uh 30 seconds is up but basically what's going to happen unlike last time where we each got a different question as we're both going to get the same question. This is our NFL draft power play edition. We each have 30 seconds to answer our half of the question. So, all right, first question here, Brett. I'll let you go first each time since I'm timing. Uh, Who's your team most likely to make a big draft day trade? Okay. Um, Yeah, Uh, I'm more than happy to answer this one. I think it's going to be the Browns. I mean, they've been the team that has been making trades, making moves all offseason. I think that they're going to make another move. I think that this is just how the Browns are operating right now. Uh, I don't know how much time I have, but five seconds, ten seconds. So I think that the Browns are going to make the trade. I think they're going to move up into the draft to get a nice little prospect, maybe on the defensive end, maybe on offensive line. Done. Boom. All right. You barely got it out. 
All right, I like that. I could see the Browns making a trade. Here we go is mine, and I'll start the clock. All right, guys, so for mine, actually, y'all are going to like this one. I actually have the Dolphins trading up. Look, Ryan Fitzpatrick, he showed up to camp. He's fat and out of shape. He says he's been eating too much birthday cake for all his kids. I think that Ryan Fitzpatrick is a very cerebral quarterback. I mean, I think he's the kind of guy who's a good – I mean, he went to Harvard for crying out loud. He's extremely smart. I think the Dolphins trade up. They go out and get Kyler Murray or Haskins. I think Kyler Murray with that first pick, and they keep Fitzpatrick there to train him and get him better. So I like the Dolphins to trade up and take a quarterback high in the draft. Boom, that's my minute right there. All right, so now let's say, all right, who's your most overrated player in the draft? I mean, preferably somebody who's going to go top 10, you know, overrated. And you're on the clock in three, two, one, boom. So my overrated player is going to be Dwayne Haskins. It's not that I don't like him. I think that players are just going to be using... I mean, he's just going to be a top ten. He's going to be a top ten pick because he's one of the top quarterbacks. I don't think he's worthy of a top ten pick, and I think that his value really doesn't show him as a top ten pick. I think you could obviously, I think you could get a better quarterback later in the draft, and that's all I have to say about that. I'm already done with my time. Boom. Yeah, I think I think that's a good one too. I'll go ahead and start mine. I actually had Haskins as mine, but I have another player too as one, my other one. I have DK Calf wide receiver for. I mean, like we said, he's it's like Darius Ford Bay kind of guy. Great fit for a team like the Raiders, as they've said, with how they like those fast wide receivers. I think he's like the John Brown, uh, Hayward Bay kind of guy. You know, he's real fast. If he gets in the right system, by all means, he can do it. But I think one of these teams, these young quarterbacks, they don't really have a proven, you know, coaching staff and coaching system. I think it could be a mistake to take Metcalf early. All right. Um, our most underrated player in the draft. I mean, this could be a guy who's going to go in the first round. This could be a guy who's projected to go later on in the draft. I'll let you start out with this one and go. Okay. So I'm going to go with Marquise Brown, wide receiver out of Oklahoma. He had a pretty Love that. serious injury, but he was one of the top-notch players in college football. I mean, he was there every time that Kyler Murray needed him. He is a great deep threat. He has all the speed, the intangibles. He has great route running. The only issue is he's coming off an injury, so he's going to slip down to the bottom of the first round. I think he's worth more than that if he can come back healthy. So that's going to be my pick for most underrated player. Go ahead. Boom. You timed that up perfectly, Brett. I got to hand it to you there. That was well well done. I think that was my best one yet. Yeah, no, definitely. The first one you tried to go way over. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I was like, dude, the first one always hits me so hard, and you're like, whoa. That was hilarious. All right. Go. All right, so I've actually got Justice Hill running back from Oklahoma State. This is a guy who I was talking about a lot on my college football podcast. Unfortunately, Oklahoma State wasn't as good this year, so he didn't get the limelight needs. This guy runs a 4-4-40. He can carry the ball. He kind of did it all for that Oklahoma State offense, and we saw it at the beginning of the year. Obviously, when they dropped off, his play still stayed the same. The problem was they were just getting behind too much early, so he couldn't run the ball a lot. But Justice Hill, I think, is that prototypical catch-and-run running back, and he can play all three downs in the league. I think a second-round pick for him is an absolute steal all right so next up we have edge rusher you know at first i was going to say who's the best edge rusher but i mean there's really only two options that's josh allen from kentucky and nick bosa from ohio state so you're on the clock brett three two one go okay i think well both of these players are going to be purely off like what you want on your team and for me i'm picking josh allen uh, Josh Allen showed all the intangibles that Joey Bosa has, or I mean, sorry, Nick Bosa has. They both are great players, but I like Josh Allen's, uh, you know, his personality, his charisma. He thinks that he is the best player in the draft. He thinks that he is the number one pick. He played the whole year 
put Kentucky on the map, and I love him. Boom, you, you rounded that off well. Sorry I didn't give you a quicker heads up. But, all right, I'm on the clock, and I'm going to go with Bosa, actually. Look, Josh Allen, I mean, he's a real fast guy. I put Kentucky on the map. I mean, the fact that they even dropped him into pass coverage was absurd to me. But I think Nick Bosa is just as good, if not better, than Joey Bosa, like we've heard people say. I mean, just the fact we didn't really see him in college, kind of like his brother, makes there a couple question marks. But I think he's well worth the pick. I mean, his brother has been injured a little bit, but when he's been on the field, he's been able to do it. And I think it'll be the exact same thing. I mean, I think both these guys go in the top five. I think they're franchise-changing players, and I think they'll be as good as Mac and all those other edge rushers we see. All right, last question here to end it all. Best D lineman in the draft. Oh, go. That one's easy. Uh, Quinnen Williams, absolutely dominant player. Uh, he ran an incredible 40 time. Fast, big. It's absolutely a no brainer. I mean, he's the best available player from the defensive line position. And I think that he will actually, I think he was going to make an impact to where he's going to be. You know, one of those, like you said, a, a franchise-changing position player. So I think that he's definitely the best defensive lineman. Um, you know, I'll go ahead and put myself in the talk. You know, I kind of agree with you, Brett. I think that Williams is the top guy because he jumps off the board with all the freak at, like, you know, the freak size and stuff that he has. But I really like Ed Oliver, actually. I, I've been big on Oliver all year. Obviously, he had a couple issues. So people, like, with the coaches and stuff, think he's going to drop down the board in injuries. But Oliver, I mean, he's a little smaller, but he reminds me of Aaron Donald. He's small. He's athletic. He benched 32 reps on the bench, 36-inch vertical jump, 4-7-40 time. I mean, those are freakish things for, an, for a defensive lineman. I like his hands and his quickness i think ed oliver can be a freak in the nfl comparison as well but the only reason as you can tell i'm an sec guy i picked both the sec players in those last two but i, I do like that comparison i think that he has the higher upside but quinnon williams is definitely going to be the more uh off the yeah game. and I feel like he's gonna be the more steady player yeah, no, I mean, definitely, I agree with you there. The higher other thing upside, too is with the, upside with, for Oliver. Yeah, with the, oh, for sure. I mean, I don't think you can go wrong either way. I think that Oliver will drop a little bit down the board, but I think he'll be just as good. But also, the other thing, too, with the Bosa-Allen thing, like you said, you went the SEC guy, I think it depends on if you want a hand in the ground or stand up. Allen is more of a stand up pass rusher. Bosa more a hand in the ground guy, so it I think that comes down to a lot of it, too, there. But For sure. Yeah, it depends on your scheme. But let's keep moving here. I know you got to go here soon. We'll, we'll talk for another 10 minutes here on the NBA playoffs. So I guess we'll start here with the games tonight. I mean, there's a lot of good games on tonight. Obviously, I don't think we really need to waste any time talking about the Bucks pistons series. I just want to say this. Look, I want to I want to do this more so. I think, first off, I think the Pacers are going to play the Celtics a lot closer. But, I mean, I don't know if you're in the same boat as all the other people, but y'all are tripping if you really think the Celtics are going to win the East. I mean, do oh, we no, not watch it? Absolutely not. I don't. Yeah, I don't care if Blake Griffin didn't play or who the Pistons didn't have in the lineup. They absolutely ran them off the court if they wanted to. I told my dad before the game started and Blake Griffin wasn't playing, it's going to be 126 to 88. I was kind of close. They didn't score enough points, but the Bucs could have scored 150 if they wanted to and held them to 50 points. Like, really, if they wanted to, they could do that. The Bucs are so dominant. I mean, the Celtics low-key got lucky in this game. The Pacers played awful in both halves. I mean, that third quarter was probably the worst third quarter of NBA basketball I think I've ever watched by the Pacers. I mean, the Celtics really did not play that 
that well. They only ended up winning the game by 10 points. I mean, you could say they quit playing at the end of the game, but the Celtics realistically, I mean, the Pacers get 12 to 15 points, which is still a horrible quarter in the NBA, but I mean, that's not absolutely terrible. I mean, it's going to be a close game going to the fourth quarter. I really think the Pacers and the Celtics have got a lot more left in this series to play for, and I don't think it's a quick series at all. The Pacers are a resilient team. They lost Oladipo early, Mm -hmm. kept up the pace. Both of us were doubters. I mean, both of us seriously doubted them once they lost Victor Oladipo. Said they'd fall Uh, out of the playoffs. Yeah, and they're they're here. They held the Boston Celtics to 84 points, which I don't know if it's a testament to how good the Pacers are defensively because they are intense. But I think it's more a testament to how little chemistry this Boston Celtics team has. I think that's the biggest issue with the Celtics team is the chemistry is just not there. Uh, we've seen it we've seen it with other teams in the past that are talented and can't find a way to put it all together with their, you know, their actual morale and chemistry and I think the Celtics mm-hmm. are not a very good team as far as chemistry goes and I think that this this series probably does go to 6 or 7 and I think that the Celtics will end up winning it. But after that, I mean the Celtics have a tough. They have a tough road. I mean, I'm gonna be honest. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't think that they are. Uh, I don't think that they're a team that's going to uh, make a huge impact. And I. That's no. about, I mean, that's about all I have to say about it. But I mean, I don't. Yeah, think no. a Team that I don't even think the top four in this conference really. Yeah, I agree with you there. I mean, if you look at this, the Celtics, they only had 24 points in the paint. I mean, that's that's very unimpressive for an NBA team to only have 24 points in the paint. And on top of that, I mean, if you look at these Celtics numbers, they're not really jumping off the sheet at you. Like, they did not shoot a good – they shot 35%. I mean, they hit they hit four more threes than the Pacers did. Shot 36% from the field. The Pacers were 12 of 21 from the free throw line. So, I mean, when you take everything to effect, the Pacers' defense showed up and played really, really well. The Pacers outscored them in two out of three quarters, and they tied them in the first quarter so I mean realistically if the Pacers did that's an outlier quarter eight points I mean I think tonight's game is going to be a dogfight it's going to come down the last possession I think they'll stay under 100 points again tonight I think the final score will be somewhere in the 90s I don't think the Pacers will pull it out but I think they can cover that number at seven and a half but I mean I think it's going to be a you know like this is not going to be an easy series the Celtics are already beat up a little bit I think without I think losing Marcus Smart's huge you know they don't have that extra wing defender to bring some charisma and to bring some energy in there I mean the Pacers I was really impressed with I mean I was impressed with everything except for that third quarter. That third quarter I think was the worst quarter of basketball I've ever like I was sitting there watching it and I was like, why am I still watching this? Well, this is a team though. The the Pacers, like we talked about, they did lose Victor Oladipo, obviously their best player. And that obviously shows a lot of the times when they go on these little spells of bad basketball, I think that not having somebody that can absolutely stop a run from the opposing team. With you know a, a, a much needed three or a defensive yeah. play, Victor Oladipo had all of that, and losing him really hurts them this series. I think that if they have Victor Oladipo in this series, they win in six. Oh, and for sure. Honestly, if they still had Victor Oladipo, they'd probably be the second or third seed. You know, like it. Seed, yeah. And, and we'd be watching Pacers. We'd be watching Celtics 76ers right now. Also, Kyrie Irving was six for 17. I know he had some nice plays and whatnot, but I mean, six for 17. But he can't do it all. And and it's at the end. Uh, moving forward, I think that the Celtics, even if they get past this series, I think that they lose the next series. I think that uh, Bucks and four, man. Yeah, I'm telling you, I don't think I, they want anything with Milwaukee. They don't I want don't none of that they're with even Milwaukee. Come close to it, and I think that. The Bucs have something to prove, too, against the Celtics because they went to seven and lost. And 
last mm-hmm. year that is and i mean yeah it's it's kind of, it's kind of like for the bucks like what more can you do you know what i mean they go out win 60 games of the best record in the entire league they lead the league in defense i mean they score the most points in the league you know like what more can you do if you're milwaukee i mean they could not have played any better than they did this entire season yet they're still being undervalued and underrated i think the bucks will come out with a chip on their shoulder and prove what they can do but we'll move on here from this series i mean it's gonna be a dog fight tonight so be on the lookout for that other game tonight is houston versus versus the jazz y'all know i'm a huge huge Houston guy, but I actually think the Jazz might be able. I don't know if they'll steal this one, but I think this game's gonna be close. I mean, the Jazz played horrible last game, like I've been saying. Jazz are a top five team in this league. I don't care what anybody says. Oh, yeah. This is a, just a horrible first round draw for Houston. Well, I do think that Utah will probably win a couple games, maybe. But yeah, no, it's going six seven. Yeah, I don't like, think that uh, Houston is going to lose, even though it might look close. I don't think it is as close as it looks. However. The big man matchup does scare me because uh, Rudy Gobert kind of limits Clint Capella's impact, for sure. Mm-hmm. And as far as, you know, Donovan Mitchell and James Harden on any given night can cancel one another out. And then that means all the other players on the court. I mean, at this point in their career, uh, Rubio and Chris Paul are similar um, in terms of... Uh, Chris Paul's going to obviously produce more, but... There's a yeah, there's a gap obviously, but I think that they Big uh, gap. I think that I mean, to be honest, Ricky Rubio does play pretty good defense and I think that on any given night Ricky Rubio can play really well. Uh, he's a good passer, he has good instincts for the game and I think that while there is a gap there, I think there's a gap in other positions uh, on the Jazz side versus the Houston side and I feel like they're a little bit deeper. And their rotation, uh, I think that they have some more. Uh, they have some better defenders on their bench in terms of having Jay Crowder out there. And I think that, while I do agree that Houston's going to win this series pretty much outright, I think that the Jazz are a very up-and-coming team, and I think that they're a team to look out for in the future, especially with, uh, especially with how young they are. Yeah, and watching that game one, one thing I think that needs to change, Joe Ingles, one for four from the floor, three points. I think yeah. he is the X factor in this series for it's Utah. I think he needs to be more assertive and uh, assertive on offense. He needs to shoot the ball more. I think that if they can get Joe Ingles involved a little bit more, because, I mean, if you get 22-12 and 12 from Gobert going up against Capella, that's a pretty good outing, you know, eight for 10 from the field, six or six from the free throw line. That's what you want to see from him. Donovan Mitchell shot 50% from the field. I mean, that's – I mean, if you realistically – if you look at the box score for Utah, they played pretty well. You just got to get more production out of Ingles. That's the guy you need a little bit more from. I mean, like you said, I mean, yeah, the gap is big between Paul and Rubio, but Rubio can do some. So, I mean, I think the Jazz can play with him. I think the Jazz might be able to catch the Rockets looking ahead a little bit tonight. Just, I mean, the fact that you you see Cousins go down, you see how the Warriors blow that lead in the second half. You think they're a little vulnerable. They might be able to catch them looking ahead a little bit to the next round. I think tonight's game is going to be a dogfight a little bit. I think plus seven is a number that could easily be covered by Utah tonight. So, I mean, it's going to be a good game. I can't wait to watch that one tonight. But we'll talk about the other series here yeah, now. Wanna, I mean, let's cover one more series and then wrap it up. Uh, what's? I think we're going to cover the same series. I think we're choosing the same one. Are we going to pick 76ers Nets? Yeah, and I want to talk a little spur. Uh, we can talk – I'll say this real quick before we talk about the Magic and the Raptors – or before we move here. Magic Raptors, I mean, that game one, I think Toronto stealing, that was kind of a fluke. I mean, we did see playoff Kyle Lowry, who I've warned you all about many times. Obviously, Didn't he picks it up though. a lot more last he was the only. T- he was the only player on the team with a plus, uh, plus n- minus that was positive, even though he scored zero points, which is inexcusable. Yeah. He did make an impact, but, I mean, it was yeah, inexcusable. I mean, Everybody's going to look at that. 
Yeah, and he was missing free throws too, which is the worst part about it. But, I mean, he showed up last night and played well. I think the Raptors will handle this series, but I think that was the scare they needed a little bit. But, I mean, it definitely shows that the playoff Raptors are a real thing and to be aware of that. But, I mean, let's get down to it here. I mean, 76ers, Nets, I think this series goes seven. I mean, I think the Nets, they're going back home in Brooklyn. They played well at home this season. I mean, I think this is – I'm not going to say they're going to win this game because, I mean, Embiid Embiid fooled us, let's be honest. Embiid, the first three – the first game and the first – First half of that second game, pretty much a game and a half of this series. I was like, yo, is Embiid like okay? Like, is he dead or something? That four, that third quarter, I mean, he just came out and just took it to them. You know, like when Embiid plays like that, the Nets really can't match up. I mean, Jared Allen's a good young center, but he cannot match up like that. But I think the Nets need to keep getting out and running like they have been, keep getting Dinwiddie and Delo on the floor together. I, I think that that's trio. where they're at their best. I absolutely love that trio of uh Karis Levert, Spencer Dinwiddie, mm-hmm. and D'Angelo Russell, I think that that is a very dominant, and I think that that group can score in such like high volume that they can beat any team that they play, depending on their nights. And I think with uh, it's, this is a tough matchup for them. I think that they did draw a tough one because the 76ers have some good good matchups for this specific series. You know what I'm saying? They kind of defend well on their guards, but. It's a tough one for them, but I definitely think that I think that the 76ers are probably going to handle it. But I think that the Nets should not be slept on. I think that they could push mm-hmm. it to six or seven, and it just depends on the guard play for the Nets. And it's a tough series because you have to go against Ben Simmons and Jimmy Butler, and I think that those two are pretty pretty good defenders when it comes to you know making some issues for guards. No, I agree with you completely. I think that they create a lot of mismatches for guards, like you said. I mean, I think the Nets can attack well, but I think ultimately that was first game was a big wake-up call for the 76ers. They came out and just kind of wanted to coast through, thought Embiid could go out there and play 50%, play the lazy way, and it didn't work, and they got blown out and embarrassed. I think that was a wake-up call for them, but, I mean, the Nets are a good scrappy team. I mean, they've got to steal one back, so, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see if they have that grit to be able to take one back on the road in Brooklyn, which I think they'll be able to do in one of these two games. Uh, before I let you go here, Brad, just briefly, I want to talk about the Nuggets and Spurs. Jamal Murray, man, I mean, he misses the buzzer beater, goes 0 for 8 in the first half. And, I mean, it just shows the resilience. of. I mean, the first three quarters, it shows the resilience of him to come out and score 21 points in the you, fourth quarter. I don't know if you caught the uh, the interview about uh, Jamal Murray. Uh, I'm going to try to find a quote from it real quick. But it was absolutely awesome. You talking uh, about after the game? Yeah. Yeah, I watched it. Yeah, I thought it was good, too. I mean, he was just like, you keep, keep shooting, man. I mean, he was thanking Mike Malone for having faith to keep him in the game. I thought it was kind of funny. I was sitting there watching the game. The Nuggets were down by 23, and I was like, geez, Denver. And then next thing you know, they come out, and Mike Malone gets a technical foul, and Isaiah Thomas kept saying, this is a good technical foul. It's what he needs to inspire the team. I was like, nah, this game's over. They got down by 23 again and somehow came back and won. So, I mean, I thought the Nuggets actually showed a lot of grit to come out after the way they played and close them out in the fourth quarter like that at home. I mean, just say that the Nuggets are going to run away with this series I think is I don't know about that part but I mean I think this is a series that Denver can still win but I mean this one's going to be tight I could definitely see the Spurs being able to take this series because they all have been amazing at home this season and Denver they're 32 and lost, 9 at home Denver has lost 13 consecutive games in San Antonio which is a crazy mm-hmm. stat line especially considering how good they've been in the recent years and I think that this is going to be the this is probably the best series in the West for me personally I think that Obviously, the Warriors and Clippers is interesting because they came back from 31, but 
they've been down big in both of those games. I think it's been a combined 50 points that they've been down and mm-hmm. one loss and one win in the comeback. But this series has been pretty tight. The first game was pretty tight. Uh, they didn't get the uh, production from Jamal Murray in the first game, but they did get it in the second half of the second game. So I think that if Jamal Murray kind of finds a hot streak, I think that the Nuggets definitely can win this series. But I think this is one to look out for. If they have to split in San Antonio or I think they've lost, I think that Popovich is too good of a coach to lose in a game seven at home. Uh, or, well, a game six with a uh, clinch possibility, rather. Uh, so I think that Popovich is definitely going to be an impact player for the Spurs. I hate to call him a player, but he is. Um, I don't know. Honestly, this is one of those up-in-the-air 50-50 series. I, I love Denver. I think that they have one of the deeper teams in the NBA. But it's always hard to beat Popovich. It's always hard to beat Greg Popovich and the Spurs, especially with a talented team behind them. And uh, the Spurs are talented. Definitely talented. So they... they De- uh, well, DeMar DeRozan has had a... Quietly great series. Nobody ever talks about DeMar DeRozan, but he played great. He's been efficient. He scored well. And I think that as far as my pick for this series, I might have to lean towards the Spurs because of that home field or home court advantage. I'm staying on Denver in this series. I mean, I think that that they really played well in the second half, especially the third quarter. So I think Denver can still win this game. But, I mean, it's definitely going to be tough. So... I'm, ex- I'm excited to see how this one plays out. Like you said, this one's going to be real tight, but I know you got to go do some stuff, Brett, so I'll let you go, but I appreciate you coming on once again. I mean, we've, we've been, been on a good run lately. Yeah, we have, and we're going to have another one Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, so you guys just keep on tuning in. Uh, we're going to give you some good content. I think some big things are coming soon. We're not going to jump too far into that, but we do have some things to look out for, so I'm good. Take it away. I appreciate everyone tuning in once again. I'm your host, Thomas Penland. That is Brett Baker, bringing you all the hot takes and everything we got. I mean, there's a lot left in these first-round series. We're going to come to you all again Friday to cover everything, but it's about all I got for you all. appreciate everyone tuning in once again, and we will see you all on Friday.